Hey, I'm Mackenzie. And I'm <laughs> You fucked that up already? <laughs> We're five seconds into this and we've cocked it up already. Welcome to Missing Pieces, a Canadian true crime podcast, episode number 10. I first of all cannot believe we fucking made it to 10. I know, me either, actually. I'm kind of impressed. And we still have people oh, following so us, which is fucking amazing. Oh my god, I know more people. It's not yeah. just like one really fucking devoted person who's like, oh god, I fall down the rabbit hole and I'm trapped here. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually like almost 70 people and we're like so thrilled. It's amazing. Anyway. It is. Thank you all so much. Oh, oh hell god. yeah. So how was your week? Oh, okay. My week... <laughs> My, my week is the reason I'm laughing right now. My week is a fucking disaster. It's only Monday, and my week is a hell. Okay, I meant your last week, not like, not this one day of this week. Um, I did nothing. I did absolutely nothing. I just worked the whole time. And then today, I can tell you a good old story about today, because it's been dog shit from the start. Okay. So, I'm staying right now in this quaint... We'll go with that little hotel in a fucking nowhere town in very far east Saskatchewan, like almost on the border of Manitoba. And I did not get any sleep last night. And so that kind of started off badly. And then I moved right in. I went to work this morning, gruesomely early. I just had the worst fucking day. I don't even know why. It was just awful. I was pissy as hell all day. And so were both, so were both my coworkers. And so we were laughing about it. And all we wanted to do after this day was over, like, we just wanted to get shit-faced at the bar. And instead, I had to record this damn podcast. <laughs> so I had to bail on my friends. And I'm stone cold sober right now. Maybe you should have gotten shit faced. And still kind of pissed off. But oh man, so I kind of lost my cool today in front of my coworker. And it was a little mortifying because he was standing next to me and we're doing some buffing stuff. So flying debris, I need to wear a face shield. And this fucking face shield was like broken i don't know i was trying to wrestle this face shield into submission and i ended up smacking my hand on something in the process and i just let out this fucking ridiculous like shriek of rage <laughs> my coworker was standing right there and it was just completely inarticulate it started off as i said ow because it hurt and then it just escalated into this like howl <laughs> awful and my coworker just sort of looked at me and i immediately like rolled into yelling and ranting about how much i hated this fucking job well at least you could laugh about it now <laughs> I'm the worst employee ever. Oh, it just was awful. It was, I mean, it's hilarious now, but I'm really, Naturally, really yeah. angry yeah. at the time. And I love how it just so. takes, like, the tiniest little thing like that to just set you off into the just, like, the mood of, like, everything fucking sucks. For me, it's when you get out of the car and you, like, hit your head. 
on the car door and i don't know that just makes me want to murder someone seriously which is ironic for this podcast but i swear to god like oh nothing makes me madder than hitting your head and it's like the most unexplained just like flash of like complete and utter rage and betrayal at your vehicle and at your big fat stupid head like oh my god so I just remember that time. Backstory, our mother has a really bizarre attached laundry room that's really short. Oh, no. So, <laughs> Kenzie comes in the house one day, and what did you say? You're like, this house is too fucking small. It's so ridiculous. And you were so angry, and I just looked at you, and I was like, you hit your head on the laundry machine <laughs> door, didn't you? And she just, we both just cracked up so hard. I just, I deadpan looked at her like, flipped my head from like one side to the other was like yes i was so angry (laughs) oh mad oh my god okay yeah but a backstory on that like our mother lives in a shoe box i wish i was kidding you but it's like a 500 square foot not even like what is it like 485 square feet or some damn thing it is literally a shoe box it is tiny yeah i mean it's glorious it's a cute little place but emphasis on the little Yes. Oh my god. Can you hear that in the background? Not anymore. Oh, it stopped. Okay, so this motel I'm staying in has no soundproofing whatsoever. And I swear to fucking god, a family just came into the room next to me with like a bunch of little children. So, oh my god, kids, you're gonna learn today. <laughs> because this is the worth oh dear first roommate ever you guys are gonna learn about some heavy shit Uh welcome to the real world kids (laughs) oh my god welcome to murder town population you (laughs) (laughs) yeah they're probably gonna think i'm a psychopath (laughs) yeah yeah guys um it's not the bates motel they're staying at but uh just go (laughs) there is a psycho next door sorry (laughs) it's me (laughs) (laughs) oh god God. Oh, fuck. How was your week? I hope it was better uh, than mine. Well, my Monday so far has been fine. I just went to work and, uh, yeah, I just went to work. It was really not that interesting. No, my week was fine. I went to the pool hall with a bunch of my coworkers. We do, like, this monthly thing, or we're trying to anyway, where we all, like, a whole bunch of us all get together and, like, go and do fun shit. So we went bowling last month, and then this month we went to the pool hall, and then next month, I don't know what we're doing. I'm trying to convince them all to go axe throwing, but everybody likes to get drunk, so drunk paramedics and axe throwing <laughs> that's who you want to go drunk axe throwing with it's a bunch of paramedics god yeah so we'll see other than that yeah no it just work it was really not that interesting god, Can't even... we're so boring i know we are boring <laughs> like honest to god i'm trying to think what else um oh i decided to uh climb a mountain the other day that was really fun. Oh, God. How'd that go? I just had this... You know when you... Sometimes... Usually this happens to me before I go to bed. Not before... Not when I first wake up. But I just have this moment of divine inspiration where I'm like, I'm so motivated. I need to do stuff. I need exercise. And I need to get my shit together. And I need to blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Usually that happens to me like in the middle of the night when I'm at work and I can't do anything. So it's kind of redundant. But this morning for some... Or the other morning for some reason, it happened at like 8.30 in the morning when I woke up. I was like, I'm going to climb a mountain. And then I get oh halfway God. up. And I was like, I'm never going to feel motivated again. Yeah. I was like, I will never be motivated again. Just remember people, every single corpse on Everest was once an extremely motivated person. Just saying. Oh my God. Yeah. So long 
short. Don't exercise, ever. Yeah, no. Uh, but yeah, long story short, I made it to the top with my dog, who was fucking thrilled. He was so excited. Like, he was chasing deer. He was chasing quail. He was just running his stupid little legs off. He was so excited. Uh, yeah, and then we got back in the car, and he poof, passed out for, like, the entire rest of the day. <laughs> I was like, oh, perfect. Well, that's convenient. I know. Yeah, it was great. Uh, yeah. And then I just yeah, researched. Yes, well, we... What? Uh, and then I just researched. That's it. That was your week? That was my week. Yeah. So we decided to do one case tonight and work on it together because it's such a big case. So we wanted to basically try and do it some justice, but we also don't want this episode to last 500 years, so it is... There are parts I'm sure that we probably will have missed or cut out intentionally because we just don't have time to talk about it all. Um, but it is probably, I would argue, the most famous Canadian case or one of the most famous Canadian cases. Hell yeah, girl. Yeah. Uh, so we did the case of Robert Picton. We fucking did. Yeah, we insert cheering here. <laughs> those kids next door are going to have nightmares for the rest of their lives. Yes. Welcome to therapy, kids. Oh, wait, no. Welcome <laughs> to the reason you're going to need therapy. Yes. Welcome to a whole host of psychological trauma. Oh, yes. Or the reason why you become like us. <laughs> or the reason you become like, Will, like Willie Picton. Valid point. Yeah. Uh, anyway. So I've done the um, early part of his life. So I did his his life, his family, that kind of thing. And I also covered... Um, I covered several of his victims. Now, obviously, I'm just going to clarify right at the beginning. Um, I did not do every single one of his victims. He has so many. It is just, like, nigh on impossible to cover all of them. That does not mean that they're not important. Obviously, they are. Um, but if you are interested in in looking up basically a full list of his victims or victims that um, were found on his farm or whatever, but that they couldn't have, they didn't have enough concrete evidence or that they decided not to charge. Um, Wikipedia has a great list as well as, uh, missing persons, missing, I think it's missingpeople.net or missingpersons.net, something like that. The missing and murdered indigenous women's, uh, indigenous women website as well. Also really good. There are, yeah, there are lists and lists and honest to God, you'll understand if you go and look, there's just, there's so many which is incredibly tragic, yeah. but also makes for a really interesting case. It, honestly, it, yeah, I, like, it's a fascinating case, especially, I mean, it does sound bad, but especially because of the number of victims and the police response. So I have, my half is the investigation and the trial and the aftermath. And just the length of time that he was active just is amazing. So, uh, yeah, let's just jump right into it. So, Robert Willie Picton was born October 24th, 1949, which, incidentally, I didn't realize he was that, that he was born that early in time. You know what I mean? Like, I thought... Yeah, he's fucking old, yeah. I, yeah, I thought for some reason he was younger, but... Anyway, he was born in Port Coquitlam, B.C. His father was Leonard, and his mother was Helen Louise, who, incidentally, was actually 20 years younger than her husband. And I don't know what that had to do with the price of tea in China, but apparently their family found it really interesting because they were convinced that Leonard was never going to marry. And then he married some hot babe 20 years younger than him. So, hey, there's hope out there for everybody. Oh, well, I was actually 
gonna say how rich was old Lenny at the time. Not at all. What? Oh my god, okay, maybe there is hope for the world. Yeah. Uh, he has an older sister named Linda, who was born, I believe, in 1948, and a younger brother named David, who I think was born in 1956. I couldn't find exact birth records, but going off of what ages they were at the articles I was reading, that's what I extrapolated from that. So it's, God, we know how good you are at math, so... Right? So I could be horrifically wrong. <laughs> Give or take ten years. Yeah, just assume I am incorrect if there's anything related to math. <laughs> Shut up, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know how much better. I'll have you know, I fucking did mental math the other day. Successful mental math. I was gonna say, was it correct? Yeah, and it was difficult, too. I had to add 45 to 90. Wow. I'm very impressed. You should be. I did it in my head. It's 135. Good for you. Anyway. So, they actually had basically three generations of family that had lived on farms, having owned two farms and acreages prior to the infamous what we'll call the, the Picton farm or the Picton property. So, Louise and Leonard actually bought the property, which would become the Picton farm at 953 Dominion Avenue in Port Coquitlam in 1963 for $18,000. That's just annoying. Right? I know. When I think about how much money I have to spend to buy fucking a box on the side of the road right now, it makes me want to scream. Yeah, like a cardboard box in a ditch is $400,000. Yeah, basically. <laughs> With, <laughs> and without even a cardboard roof or anything. So, Leonard apparently wasn't really involved with the family. However, his daughter, Linda, speaks of him with affection. And apparently, Louise was a workaholic who was eccentric and tough. So, she expected the children to work long hours, slopping out the pigs and other animals, even on school days. So, when he wanted to hide and didn't want to do the work, Robert would crawl into the gutted carcasses of hogs. Oh, my God. Are you fucking kidding me nope because they that's what they lived on their entire lives was all these hog farms and pig farms and whatever and they obviously they had the slaughterhouses and stuff so that's where he'd hide hide under the trough you hide in the sty you hide in the mud with the pigs you don't hide in their corpses man pigs are aggressive though for real you ever been to a pig farm that shit is scary no i try to avoid them actually (laughs) my friend actually (laughs) has one well his brother has one and we went through there to to feed the pigs and the sows like the female pigs were like 700 pounds um i fed them some sort of grain they're organic grain yeah yeah grain and like well it was it was a mix of a bunch of stuff like it was grains and it was greens and it was other scraps and shit yeah, but if you, we were like, I had to run through the yard with the buckets and, like, spread the buckets around because the pigs would get aggressive with each other when you, if you only put the pit, if you only put the food in one particular section. So I had to run, just picture me running around a pigsty with a bunch of buckets full of food, screaming my head off as a bunch of 600-pound sows are chasing after me as I'm fucking flailing food around behind me, trying to make them not eat me because I'm paranoid now. <laughs> I'm actually just, like picturing you skipping through a field of daisies with a bucket of slop like followed by a bunch of pigs (laughs) (laughs) it was not that pretty no peelings (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was not that pretty let me tell you although the baby piglets were fucking adorable they were so cute oh yeah i would get a piglet i know me too anyway and they scream it's terrifying like they're chasing you and you're screaming and they're screaming and it's made of nightmares seriously it is i would never own a pig farm 
Wow, okay. Um, I mean, I already had a pretty good reason not to ever go to a pig farm, but now I got a second good reason. Yeah, <laughs> it is scary. But they're also really apparently highly intelligent, so that probably... I don't know. So why are they screaming all the time? I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Everybody YouTube... I hate my life! Ah! Yeah. <laughs> Fucking potato peelings again! Ah! Uh-huh. <laughs> Feeding me your compost. Ah! Yeah, pretty much. I'm gonna chase this bitch and eat her instead. Ah! <laughs> Anyways, yeah, somebody, like, like, please, YouTube, like pigs squealing and making it's terrifying. I'm doing it. No, don't do it right now. Do it later. Okay. Anyways, so yeah, so he would hide and crawl into these gutted hog carcasses. I don't know where they. I'm assuming they were hanging off the ceilings on like. Um, slaughter hooks and stuff like that, which just makes that so much worse. Swinging from the ceiling in a gutted pig, like, that's, no. That's the reason why things things were going wrong from childhood right there. Yeah. And he always talked about, apparently he always talked about the fact that his parents had given him a calf to raise, and he was so proud of it, and he raised it up to, like, adulthood, and then his parents slaughtered it without telling him. And apparently it scarred him for the rest of his life. Yeah. Which is understandable. I get it. Brutal. Yeah. Did you just YouTube pig screaming? <laughs> oh my god, that is horrible. <laughs> it's it's like it's terror inducing. That's like a baby. Yeah, it's horrible. A child. Anyway. Um, oh my god. The YouTube video, for anyone curious, is titled Miniature Pig Scream When She Is Picked Up. Yeah, it's scary. Anyways. That was Ugh. frightening. Yeah. So he did really badly in school, I guess, and even spent time in special education classes. His IQ was apparently about 86, with the average being closer to 100. So the level that they dictate... Um, mental retardation and that is in fact the term that they use it's not just me using that term is an iq of under 70 which i hate the term of but that's that's what they call it so he never dated and was socially challenged he left school midway through high school apparently his hygiene was incredibly poor which could explain why he never dated yeah and he was afraid of showers so he always smelled of manure dead animals and dirt and when he did bathe it was always in a tub and it was only when someone he trusted mentioned how bad he smelled So you can imagine how long between baths that probably was. So apparently a very defining moment in his life, as well as his brother's life, and this will also give you a good insight into what his family was like, was when his younger brother, yeah, was when his younger brother Dave was learning to drive. So on October 16th, 1967, at about 7.40 p.m., Dave and Robert took their father's 1960 red pickup truck from the farm and headed east on Dominion Avenue. At the same time, 14-year-old Tim Barrett was walking down the road, and Dave slammed into him with the pickup. Oh, fuck. Mm-hmm. So Dave raced home. They never said whether he got home uh, in the car, in the truck itself, or whether he went home on foot. And he told his mother what happened, and she came back to the scene with her with her son, looked down at Tim, reached down and shoved him into a deep slough, which is a water-filled ditch on the side of the road. And then she went home. So Dave drove the truck oh out to a mechanic in Port Coquitlam and had him bang out the dents in the front of the hood and replace the misbroken turn signal. You guys can't see my face right now, but it's like shock and disgust. Yeah. 
So in the meantime, Tim's parents, Philip and Louise, or Lois, Lois, I think it's Lois, I'm sorry, I messed that up, were frantic. And just before one o'clock in the morning, they reported their son missing. So the next morning, Tim's body was found in the slough. The autopsy showed that he had a fractured skull with an intracranial hemorrhage, which is bleeding in the brain, as well as fractured and dislocated pelvis. And the coroner stated that those injuries would not have killed him immediately and that the boy had actually drowned in the slough. Oh, my fucking God. Which makes me even more angry because if they would have, like, called 911, if they would have just driven him to the hospital, if they would have whatever, he may have had... He would have been fine. Well, not that he would have been fine because it's pretty severe injuries, but he would have had a chance, basically. Yeah. Oh, my fucking God. Yeah. So the coroner actually ruled it... The coroner ruled it an accidental death, but a criminal case was pursued, obviously, because because Dave had been driving, essentially. So Dave was actually sent to juvenile court, but the records are sealed, so there's not a lot known about sort of what happened and what sort of sentence he got, if he got one, anything like that, because, yeah, because they're sealed records still. And Louise was never charged. The mother was never charged. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that kind of gives you an idea of what kind of family they were. Yeah, that is a fucked up bunch of fuck-ups. Mm-hmm. So Linda, the sister, never actually lived on the infamous farm. She never lived on the Picton farm. She actually left home at uh, between the ages of 12 and 13 to go to school, and she actually became a real estate agent. So she really has very little... I was going to say, well, she probably turned out all right, eh? <laughs> she really has very little to do with, with the boys. Like, she, she came to visit them occasionally kind of thing, but that's about it. She didn't really have a lot to do with the family. Leonard died in 1978, the dad, and Louise died of cancer in 1979, which incidentally, fun fact, 1979 is the time when they think that Pitchin started killing. Oh, mommy issues. Mm-hmm. So there's a big old trigger for you. Let me just flip through my notes here. boop So Robert and David co-owned the farm at that time, but Dave, even though he was younger, was always more authoritative. And was basically in charge. I guess he was the much smarter one. He was the more business savvy one, if you could call it that. Right. Yeah. So Bill Hiscox, which is a really unfortunate name, uh, worked on the farm from 1997 to 1998 and basically described it as a creepy looking place, which, you know, is pretty accurate because it is fucking creepy. I would say it's a fucking pig farm and apparently pig scream. So I can see that being creepy. Yep. (laughs) Absolutely. I can't believe I have no idea that pigs screamed. Oh, no. I just, I don't even want to think about it. I don't even and that's even when they're in a good mood. Something. When they're in a good mood, they're screaming. Imagine Great. an angry pig. Bad mood. Yeah. <laughs> Eat you, apparently. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so the property that they were on had a mechanical shop, a garage and a workshop, a barn, a storage shed, a farmhouse, a motor home, Robert's trailer, and beside it was the slaughterhouse. And, like, oh right beside it. So I'm not even talking, like... Yeah. It's, like, the murder maze. Yeah. It's a place like that, the, unless you were really horrifically desperate, you would never go to. Which, realistically speaking, all these victims and all these, these women were. That is true, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Robert himself was described as pretty quiet, hard to strike up a conversation with, who sometimes kind of bizarre behavior would draw attention. As of 1992, the farm's daily operations were pretty neglected. So David and Robert opened a, what they called a non-for-profit charity called the Piggy Palace Good Times Society, claiming to... Oh, God, that's so creepy. It's so creepy. Even that is creepy. 
creepy. Piggy palace. Yeah. Good time. Society. And then you just throw society in there, too. You're like, we're trying to class it up a bit. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, claiming to organize, coordinate, manage, and operate special events, functions, dances, shows, etc. on behalf of service organizations and whatever. So basically the events were raves and wild parties with Vancouver-based sex workers coming and members of the Hells Angels. And as many as 2,000 people were known to attend, and the parties were hosted in uh, the converted slaughterhouse. Which, like, I'm sorry. Let's go dance and do drugs and pick up sex workers in a slaughterhouse sounds like something out of a fucking nightmare to me yeah no that is not that's a big no-no for me really have to pass on yeah. that party hard pass on that shindig thanks very like much if someone invites me to a party and is like hey you want to go to a backyard rave if it's in a slaughterhouse i'm gonna be like wow no fucking thank you like, yeah i'm just gonna go ahead and go down to the church and pray to god for your soul completely and you can just imagine them trying to talk it up too they're like yeah you can just come on in and hang your coat on the meat hooks <laughs> i mean jesus <laughs> free coat check free coat check. <laughs> <laughs> check your coat or your skin at the door oh my god oh gross anyway so this was actually disbanded in 1998 officially like the society was officially disbanded in 1998 but of course the partying continued and that's i'm assuming this is how the sex workers first heard about penticton and why they willingly went there because it meant drugs and it meant work for them and which of course meant money which meant Did you more drugs say penticton? no picton I I did i say penticton <laughs> fuck i think you said penticton edit that shit out anyway i'll I say it again so i wondered is this how the sex workers first heard about Picton and why they willingly went there? Because it meant drugs and it meant work. Apparently, Picton, while he supplied the drugs, like Robert, while he supplied the drugs and the alcohol, he never actually used drugs and he never drank alcohol. So, and that's multiple witnesses state they never ever saw him use it. They saw him administer it to other people and give it to other people, but never like to use, but never used anything himself. Oh, man. Which is oddly creepy and calculated for someone with an IQ, supposed IQ of 86. But, I mean, it could have just been that he didn't want to. Yeah, that's like, true, too. But then know. you also willingly partake in these parties and also in sex work, which is arguably grosser. I, I don't know. But, I mean, it's not about the gross, right? No, like, I guess that's well, true. Well, it's the same thing you and I don't fucking go do blow on the weekends. Like, True. <laughs> just not into it. No. <laughs> Definitely not. No, thank you. Not that we're judging you if you do, but, you know, no thank you for us. Yeah, more power to you, but, you know. Leave us out of it. I'll pass on that one. Hard pass. So, in 1997, Robert was diagnosed with hepatitis C, which apparently... He's still fighting. Obviously, it's not something that just magically you take a pill and poof, it goes away. Say, how did he contract it? Because, like, hepatitis C, I mean, can't, isn't that the one you get from, like, dirty sushi in Mexico or something like that? <laughs> no, that's hepatitis A and B, actually. You get hepatitis C is oh. sexually transmitted and bloodborne. So you can only get it from engaging in sex with someone who has it or from the infected blood of somebody who has it. Oh, so that's like the 
needle sharing one. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's the one exactly. So if you're sharing drug needles, or if you're murdering drug addicted sex workers, just saying. So we don't actually know how he was diagnosed, but obviously several assumptions can be made in that he was engaging in, in sex with, with um, sex workers, and also that he, at this point, is believed to have been murdering said sex workers. Yay! Mm-hmm. So on March 23rd, 1997, Robert was actually charged with an attempted murder of a sex worker, Wendy Lynn Eistetter, whom he had stabbed multiple times following an argument. Wendy told police that she and Robert had had sex, and then he'd handcuffed her to the bed and began to stab her. So she escaped with multiple lacerations. She actually disarmed him and stabbed him with his own weapon, which is pretty fucking badass. Go, girl. Mm-hmm. And then they were both treated in the same hospital, the Eagle Ridge Hospital, where a key was actually taken from Robert's pocket and used to remove the handcuffs on Wendy. Which, like, oh my god. Because I remember, I read that too, because I did a little bit on Wendy because she's kind of like... The, she's kind of what gets the ball rolling in the investigation mm-hmm. in my half. So, like, I did read up on her a little bit. And, like, what the frick? It's like, please literally hand me the key to this investigation. The literal fucking key. Here it is. Yeah. Like, hey, guys, um, do you guys want some, like, evidence to, like, prove that this guy's a shithead? Wow, here it is on a fucking platter. Yeah. So he was actually released on a $2,000 bond, and the charges were dropped in January of 1998 because uh, I was not a reliable witness due to her drug addiction. And they were basically like, oh, awesome. well, if, yeah, they were like, oh, well, if we get her up on the stand, she's not a good enough witness because she has is a known user, essentially. Well, how about the fucking nurses that had to uncuff her from Captain Murder himself? Yeah, ugh, I don't know. And over the next three years, people really began to notice that women who visited the farm were going missing. Took them long enough. Jesus. Well, several complaints were made, as well as many, many missing persons reports, but the farm was never actually searched, I guess. I'm sure you'll go more into that. By this time... Oh, wait, do I ever. Yeah. By this time, and this was 1998, the list of missing women was up to 63. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And how on earth you're just, like, ignoring that? I... Never mind, anyway. So several, um, (laughs) don't worry, I'll get into that. Oh, good. Excellent. So on February 6, 2002, police finally executed a search warrant for illegal firearms on the property. It wasn't even for suspicion of murder or anything like that, I guess, because they didn't have any, any real proof, but they did have proof that he was using an illegal weapon. I fuck if I know, but Hey, it worked. So after Dave and Robert were taken into custody, a second search warrant was obtained as part of the BC missing women investigation. Personal items of some of the missing women were found on the property, and the farm was sealed off. So Picton was actually released even after this, but he was kept under police surveillance. And the investigation would take over a year to conclude, with hundreds of hours of sifting through the property. Over a hundred forensic student volunteers, forensic specialists, and experts were used, and a conveyor belt was brought in a special sifting machine to try and sift organic matter from the land. So basically, blood, bones, people bits, people bits, bits of people. As evidence was found, Robert was charged with first-degree murders of 27 women. Uh. Yeah. So Robert would actually only be convicted of six murders, and in the second degree, not first, but he was given life in prison anyway. The other 20 to 21 women's cases would actually be dropped as he was already receiving a life sentence. Hey, stink face. What? That's my name. 
that's trial business. No, I know, but this, it goes into me talking about the victims. Okay, all right, fine, fine. I'll forgive you this time. Mm-hmm. So the number of women that Robert actually admitted to killing is 49. So the six, I'm only going to talk about in this, in this section, I'm only going to talk about the six victims that uh, Robert Picton was incarcerated for and convicted of the second degree murders of, because like I said, there's just so many, but these are the ones that they had the most evidence on. And it's, these are the ones that were the staple cases that they were used to convict him of murder. Yeah, they were classified as materially different by the judge. Yeah. So, the first victim, these are not really in any particular order. Um, I go as chronological as I can, but because it's not known exactly when these women died, it's hard to make it perfect. Yeah. So, Marnie Lee Frey, who is 24, she was last seen in 1997, and it was officially reported missing in 1998. She's remembered as being generous and caring with a great affection for animals. She had a daughter in 1992 at the age of 18. She was exposed to drugs through an Asian gang and ended up in the downtown east side as a sex worker to feed her habit. Her family said that she called every single day. In the exterior of the slaughterhouse on the Picton farm, her partially buried jawbone was found. Oh, brutal. Yeah. Brenda Ann Wolfe, who was 32... She was last seen in 1999. She was remembered as tough and would stand up for others. She worked as a street enforcer and apparently not as a sex worker, but she did have a heavy drug habit. Her DNA was found in Robert's bedroom on a brown leather jacket and two different lipsticks. Also found on a handcuff key in a duffel bag in the workshop on the Picton property. And her partial jawbone was found in a, in a debris pile outside the slaughterhouse. It is believed to be hers. I'm not 100% certain whether or not it was genetically matched to her, but... I'm assuming that they're not going to say, yeah, it's hers and not know for sure. Yeah, well, it must have been if they would have included it in the trial. Exactly, yeah. Um, Georgina Faith Papin, who was 35, maybe Papin, sorry, I could be wrong. She was last seen in March of 1999. She had many homes before the age of 18 and suffered from, from drug addiction. She had seven children, and one of her daughters said that she never, forget to, never forgot to call to wish her a happy birthday and would send parcels and pictures routinely. In the interior of the slaughterhouse, her buried hand bones were found. God. See, I think this is just the thing that frustrates me so much about our society is, like, we forget that sex workers are people. And yep. then you hear stories like this where it's like they never forgot their kids' birthdays and yep. they never forgot to call their parents. Yeah. You know, it's like they're just people trying to fucking survive. Yep. No, absolutely. I found... I actually, the, there's a book called On the Farm by Stevie Cameron, who she wrote after years and years of investigative journalism, she wrote about everything involving Picton, and it's an amazing book, it's, it's a fantastic read, and she talks about all the victims, and she talk or as many as she could, you know, actively find out about, essentially, and it's just amazing, like, the amount of work that went into it. And she never talks about them, like, oh, yeah, they were just, you know, they were just drug-addicted sex workers or anything like that. Or they were just these poor women living on the... It was like they were these, they, was, they were poor women living on the dregs of society, you know, with a habit, yeah. And they needed to feed that habit. But they were people. You know, they had yeah. lives. They had children. They had families. Like, they came from somewhere. And so she does a whole bunch of backstory into it. And yeah, it's, it's a fantastic book. It's a really great read. It's incredibly tragic, obviously, as the whole case is. 
So you're not going into it being like, I'm going to read this light fluffy tale before bed. This is going to have a happy ending. I just know it. I just know it. Exactly. Wrong. So the next one was Andrea Josbury. She was 22. She went missing in June of 2001, and she was remembered as being a great big sister. Her boyfriend got her into drugs and pimped her out, as is so common. Which, oh my god, it just irritates me. Oh, it makes me so angry. But that's how a lot of the victims ended up into drugs and sex work, was boyfriends. You dicks! (laughs) (laughs) So she had a daughter, but she was actually reported missing by her doctor after she failed to get her methadone, which a lot of people use methadone to try and combat drug addiction, because it stops the withdrawal, or it can not stop it, but like alleviate the withdrawal symptoms of recover, oh, trying to recover no. from opiates. Yeah. Which makes that extra sad. Yeah. So her DNA was found in the laundry room of Picton's trailer on a pillow slip and also on, in a stain on the wall in the bathroom. It was also found in the bedroom on some lipstick as well as on a black nylon jacket. Several items in the pockets also had her DNA on them, including nail clippers, a bottle, and an address book. Her DNA was found in the slaughterhouse on an orange plastic bag on one of the tables. Oh, God. Yeah. Her lucky earrings were found there, as well as a silver ring. In the workshop, two buckets were found inside a freezer containing hands, heads, and feet. And I'm not talking about pigs. Uh. And it's not known, but they think that it came, some of it came from her. God. Yeah. Her teeth were also found in a bucket in the workshop, and they were matched with DNA. Jesus Christ. Yep. So Mona Lee Wilson was the next one. She's 26. She went missing in November of 2001. She experienced abuse from a young age and was placed into foster care. And apparently she lived with a really loving foster family who even took her to Disneyland. Uh, She left home at 16 to live on her own in Vancouver. And she became a heroin addict and a sex worker. Oh no. Yeah. Actually, I was reading into her and she she had a, a pretty rough a pretty rough upbringing. I mean, as so many of these girls did, but, um, but her foster family was apparently really, really good. Her foster brother remembers her smile and how great she was. In the laundry room of the Picton trailer, her DNA was found on a dildo attached to the barrel of a 22 caliber handgun, which is like a whole new level of gross. I mean, I get that you got a weird thing, but like, ew. Reportedly, he used that dildo as a silencer. I mean, no. Just, oh, it's maybe mm-hmm. gag thinking about it. That's what he said. He said the dildo, he used it as a silencer for his gun. I mean, there's better items. There's much better items. There's but. there's better items. And not to mention, it's a little bit obvious when you're, like, waving a gun around with a big swinging purple dick off the end of it. Like, it's really stupid. <laughs> Is it really purple? <laughs> I have no idea. I'm just being facetious. But, I mean, seriously... Anyway, in the motorhome, DNA, her DNA was found on the walls, the moldings, the blinds, the nightstand, and also on the kitchen counter. There were stains on a hose, a syringe, a crack pipe, bottles, and cigarettes that were also matched to her DNA. It was also found in a blue sweater and on blood stains on a blanket. Some remains found in a bucket near the pig pen are believed to also be hers. I think there was just so much that they were able to test all of it. So I think that's where they're kind of coming yeah. from with that. And the last one that he was convicted of was Serena Abbotsway. 
and she was 29. She went missing in 2001, and she was born with FAS, so a fetal alcohol syndrome, and both her parents died young. Her father actually died of a drug addiction in the east end of Vancouver himself. So she lived with the Dreyer family, who remember her as sweet, bubbly, but also very disturbed. And she was introduced to drugs really young at 17. Friends remember that she had an almost almost childlike innocence in that she collected dolls and she collected teddy bears, that kind of thing. But she obviously also had some serious issues, including a really severe yeah. drug habit. So in the Picton trailer... Dolls are creepy. They are creepy. Sorry, dolls are creepy. They are creepy. So in the Picton trailer, in the office, a Solomon ski bag with her inhaler and two syringes were found, and DNA was found that matched hers as well as Picton on the syringes. In the bedroom, DNA from a sheer black top was found to match her. Hairs on the sheets also matched hers. And in the workshop, that bucket of teeth contained several of hers, which were also matched by DNA. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I think, like, the general overview that I got from it was just... They had so much evidence and so much going on that they there was no possible way for them to test all of it and actually be able to get every single one of these women to trial because... It would take, I mean, it would, it would take forever. And they wanted him, they wanted him convicted, obviously. Yeah, well, I go into that in my half. Well, I'm done, so that was it, that was it for me. Proper reasons. Yeah, no, that was it for me, so, I mean, go ahead. Now that I've just clinically depressed all of us. (laughs) Oh, wait, actually, no, I have, I do have a couple more things, now that I'm thinking about it. So, Going back to the farm itself, um, that farm nowadays, remember how I said that, that the mother and father bought it for like $18,000 in 1963? Uh-huh. That farm is worth or was worth over six and a half million dollars by 2002. Right. Yeah. yeah. So they started, all the siblings started kind of selling off pockets and sections of the farm to different companies to build like townhouses and a park and a school actually too. And the whole thing, they basically would have made over, over $6.6 million from selling off of all that land. And yet where did that money go is what I want to know. Cause the family claims that the money all went to developing the properties, putting in hydro, putting in wells, that kind of stuff. And that there was no money for, Robert's defense, which I think is a cop-out, and I think it's a way of them saying, dear God, please give him a shitty public defender so that he goes to prison forever. Which, frankly, I'm okay with. Yeah, I I think I can agree with that. Shitty public defender, please, by all means. So those are the six victims that Picton was convicted for, um, and we are going to end this episode here for now and release this half tonight and then we will continue with the investigation and the trial and release that episode tomorrow because already we're almost an hour into this and and that makes for one hell of a long episode so and we want to make yeah, sure we get so much information yeah and we want to make sure we get I, all the details it, i was just gonna say in order to give it to do it justice rather we kind of as much as I would love to be able to cram this all into one episode, it would be like four hours. And- yeah. So we will put this up tonight and get the next episode up for you tomorrow night. Hopefully. Hopefully tomorrow night. Yeah. <laughs> That's a very loose promise. Oh, good point. Okay. So see but, you all yeah, tomorrow. Thank you. Uh, thank you.
thank you all for listening. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> See you tomorrow. <laughs>